Well, good morning, church. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be together, hey? Uh, as Trina was mentioning, this is like New Year's Day. It's like, oh, we're into 2023. This is good. There's lots of reason to be celebrate, to celebrate and uh, to be thankful to God for. Uh, if you are brand new here today, you're watching online, wonderful to have you here with us at Bendigo Baptist. And I trust your experience today. Uh, uh, encourages you, inspires you, and what it looks like to follow Jesus wherever he leads. You know, I've uh, totally, I've enjoyed uh, being the, the privilege. We've had some great people speaking over the month of January in our Summer Story series. And uh, I trust you've been blessed and encouraged. Uh, one, of the, the, one of the wonderful things for me is that I get to sit under the ministry of some other people in the life of our church and uh, to just allow the Spirit of God to minister to me. And it was really good. And so I want to say huge thanks to all of those people that, that preached and spoke. And yeah, let's put our hands together for them. We've got a lot of, there's a lot of gifts that sit here in the body of Christ. And uh, I feel immensely blessed by all of that. Today, uh, it's not our summer stories, but uh, I actually want to tell you a story that's found in the Gospels. We're going to read it together in just a moment, but it's a story that just captures my heart. I often say, oh, this is one of my favorite stories or my favorite passages. And, uh, you know, well, this is another one of them. Uh, found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2. It's a story of a group of people, four individuals who I think embody or give us a picture of what a, a whatever-it-takes kind of faith really looks like. A group of men who had a friend who was paralyzed and did whatever it takes to get him to Jesus. Uh, can I, let's just take a moment together, hey? You might be finding your way there into that passage. Let's just take a moment together and pray and ask that the Spirit of God would just speak into our lives today. Heavenly Father, we, uh, it's wonderful to be together. Lord, your word tells us that uh, you are always in our midst when we gather. And there is a sense of your spirit that has been a part of our worship this morning, a part of our interactions, a part of our conversations, part of our giving, part of the ministry that's happening right here in this moment, the service that people are giving in our kids' programs, whatever that might be. But Father, now as we open your words, we thank you that it is alive, that it is transforming, that you speak to us in and through your word. And wherever we might be, as we engage in your word right now, we give you permission to speak and to impact our lives. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know what? In the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2, it's early up in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, you know, different Gospels give you different stories, but in Mark chapter 2, we're told at the end of Mark 1 that so many people were gathering around Jesus that he made the decision to push out into some secluded places to escape the crowds. Now, why was that? It wasn't that he didn't want to be with people, but... There was a, a sense that in this time, you know, as people were coming to him, the, he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And as he preached the kingdom of God, people's lives were being transformed. People were being set free. They were finding healing. And, and so they just kind of gathered more and more people. It'd be a bit like turning up to some huge event. And there's literally thousands of people who are just clamoring for the attention of Jesus, want to be with Jesus. And, and so he retreats from some of that space to a much more secluded place to continue to minister, to, to declare the kingdom of God was at hand, to, uh, to minister to people. And people by nature, 
when they're looking for something, they'll just kind of keep chasing something down. And so we know that, that wherever Jesus went, the crowds just kind of found their way to Jesus. And in Mark chapter 2, we're told that he makes his way back after several days to Capernaum. Capernaum is up there in the region of Galilee, and it's where the ministry of Jesus was beginning to take place. Uh, and, and we are told that Jesus came back to his home in Capernaum. Now, if you know your word, you'll go, well, hang on, that wasn't his home, was it? He was born in a different place and raised in a different place. And that, that, that kind of wasn't in the list, but no, Jesus kind of moved on to there and this was his base. And whether this was his actual home, his physical home that he had bought or was living in or was renting, we really don't know, but we're just kind of told that he returned to his home. I don't know about you, but there's something about coming home. There's something about being in your own home, isn't it? It's, it's a place of respite. It doesn't matter what week you might have had or what day it's been like. There is just something about going home uh, to your place. Well, I've got a sense that maybe Jesus was looking forward to coming home to his home, but we are told that it's not long before a crowd of people realized that he was back home and suddenly they're in his home. Now, imagine that. Imagine kind of coming home, just want to be at home on your own, and suddenly there's a crowd of people all around you. Well, if you've got your Bible, in Mark chapter 2, we're going to kind of, not all these verses are going to be on the screen, so you'll want to have your device, your Bible, and follow along with me. But when news kind of returned and people got word of it, uh, it wasn't long before his house was packed with visitors. And we're told in verse 2 and that there was no more room even outside the door. Now, I've never been into ancient Israel, never grew up at Capernaum, but I can begin to imagine what a little village might have been like. That, you know, homes aren't like the homes that we've got today that uh, by those standards are kind of palaces. But you can imagine these little homes all kind of nestled in together and, and, and the laneways in which people would walk to get to these homes would be kind of rather narrow. It wouldn't be this huge thoroughfare. Maybe three or four people could kind of find their way through there. And we are given a picture of what this moment looks like. Jesus has returned home. He's in his home. And we are told that the house that he was staying in was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. You know, it wasn't just one or two people. I can imagine hundreds of people all kind of clamoring around in the street, you know, knowing that Jesus is back and they're trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. Well, the story continues with Mark saying these words. While he was preaching, this is Mark 2 verse 2, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, who were these men? You know, the scriptures silent. We, we don't know who they were. We're not told their names. We're not told where they came from. Did they live in Capernaum? Was their friend from Capernaum? We have, we, we know nothing of this. Had they walked for days to get to this space because they'd heard about Jesus? We don't know. But what we do know is that they had heard about Jesus. They'd heard the impact that Jesus was having in people's lives, that people's lives were being transformed, absolutely transformed. And they thought, if we could just get our friend to meet Jesus then he too, his life could be changed. I think you could say that they possessed an unshakable faith that was prepared to do whatever it takes for their friend to meet Jesus. They were dogged in all of that. So what did they do? They teamed up together and they did as a team what none of them could have done on their own. And 
Now, I want you to imagine, just for a moment, you know, these men carrying these, this paralyzed man on a mat. You know, one person couldn't have done it. Maybe two or three could have done it. But because the mat that their friend was lying upon uh, had four corners, it needed a team of four people, to, and it made so much more sense. And so, so when they got there carrying this friend of theirs, they were greeted then with this scene that maybe they didn't expect. In fact, they were kind of hoping to get there and they'd have a one-on-one encounter with Jesus, but they got there and they encountered this obstacle. The crowd, the house was so full that the, the doorway was even packed, they couldn't even get their friend to Jesus. So what do they do? Well, Mark paints this vivid picture in, in chapter 4. He says these words. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole above the roof. They dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Now, have you just consider how this scene is playing out for just a minute. You've got to put yourself in the story. Otherwise, you just kind of read right through the story and it just washes right over you. These, this group of men, this, these four friends of this paralyzed man, they turn up at the house and we're not told about the conversation, but you can imagine the conversation that went amongst them all. They, they, they come around the corner to this big group of people and they look at each other and one of them says, this wasn't what we were expecting. We, we were hoping we were going to get to meet Jesus. And they kind of look around and another one says, well, hey, there's a staircase up here. Why don't, why don't we make our way up the staircase? No one seems to be on that. And maybe there's another way down into the house. Well, they got up into the top of the house and then realized, no, there is no way down into the house. They're not meeting Jesus at all. And so there is a bright spark, maybe a one who's a little bit out there on the edge, a, a, a crazy one who says, well, why don't we just make a hole in the roof? We'll lower him down to meet Jesus. I don't think I would have been that person suggesting that. And so what do they do? They put their friend on the ground and they say, don't you go anywhere. And four of them all went off. One went off looking for a hoe. Another one went off looking for a shovel. Someone else went looking out for some rope. And they came back and they began to dig their way, hack through the roof of this house that was possibly the home of Jesus. And just think for a moment about those that are inside the house at this point in time as well too. Can you imagine? Imagine you're kind of hearing a noise. And then there's a bit of dust that's falling from the ceiling. Then some rubble begins to start falling in as well too. And we're not told what Jesus said at this moment, but maybe he paused them for a moment and said, look, I'm just pausing this sermon for a moment whilst you look left up there to the ceiling and we watch what's going on. We don't know what was going on, but it would have made a commotion. And what surprises me in this story is that not one person said, hang on, stop, what is going on? I've just built a brand new house and I could tell you exactly what I would say if I was sitting in my house and suddenly the roof started to come apart. I'd be doing something about that. But not even Jesus says a thing to this group of four men as they're making their way through. Uh, and what's that say to us? Uh, well, you know, this week, it, maybe it dawned on me maybe a bit deeper that, you know what, Jesus cares much more about people than he does buildings. He knew what was going on. So he maybe just stood back while it was all going on. And whilst this man then was being lowered down in through the roof, if you got your Bibles, this is what Jesus says, not to the men, but to this paralyzed man. He said to him, my child, your sins are forgiven. 
Your sins are forgiven. Now, don't forget for a moment the, this group of four men that are on the roof. I mean, they were bringing their friend to Jesus, not for his sins to be forgiven, but for him to be healed and made whole. And I can only imagine them thinking at this point in time, hey, what? hang on, Jesus, what are you doing? We brought it. He is paralyzed. He can't walk. He doesn't need his sins forgiven. He needs to be made whole. He needs to be able to walk again. Ah, but see, Jesus, he knows all things. He knew the much bigger picture of what was kind of transpiring at this point in time. He knew what he was about to do because of the whatever it takes faith of these four men. And so he started in that place of saying, my child, your sins are forgiven. He knew that the greatest need of this man, first and foremost, is that he would find forgiveness for his sins. You see, what good would it make to make a man whole and free of his paralysis, but then he walks straight into hell? Jesus, first and foremost, deals with his need of forgiveness, of salvation. And of course, that just kind of rocked the boat there in the room because in that room, there was a whole bunch of different people. See, uh, you, you had some people, that, you had some onlookers who were kind of on their way to Jesus and you had some people in that room at that point in time who were in the way of Jesus, the religious leaders. And they begin to question Jesus saying, you know, who gives you the authority to do all of this? Only God can do something like this. And Jesus, realizing what was going on in verses 8 through 11, says these words. He said, why do you question what's just happened in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to stand, or, or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man. He said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. In essence, Jesus said, you know what? You want proof that I have the authority as the son of man to not only forgive sins, but to heal somebody? Then let me just show you. And he healed this individual. The tension in the room at that point must have been palpable. You know, so many different groups of people, the religious leaders are tense because in that moment, Jesus has just kind of called them out. They were in the way of Jesus. He calls them out and uh, proves to them that he is who he says he would be he has the authority as the son of god you've got the paralyzed man who's sitting there on his mat just wondering he is tense wondering is jesus going to heal me you've got the four men up in the roof who are kind of looking down thinking they're a little tense thinking you know what we've worked pretty hard we put ourselves out on a limb right here and, and is this man is our friend going to get healed and you got some onlookers in the room as well too and they're feeling the tension of everybody else and the only person who wasn't tense it was Jesus. He knew all things. Brings calm into that moment and he simply says, stand up, pick up your mats and go home. And the response, this man who didn't walk stood up, rolled up his mat and he walked out through the crowds. Stunning. We're told in this story that the crowd was stunned absolutely stunned by this a profound miracle jesus actually saying that he's got the authority to forgive somebody of their sins they are stunned and it finishes by saying that they hadn't seen any, or, sorry it says that they began praising god you know over at our eagle hawk campus this morning we were singing a song god you're so good 
God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. You know, you get a picture of what this crowd is singing in praise and adoration of God. Uh, you know, you are so good. They are praising God for they hadn't seen anything like this before. You know, what do we do with this story? As we think about this story, it sits there in the Gospels, not really being in that space, trying to make sense of well, what's that mean. Imagine those people trying to make sense of what that meant for them. But what's that mean for us? Some time and space removed from all of that. What's that story mean for us today? Well, let me just push around on this for just a little bit because I think it's got so much application. But let's start personally. You know, as we think about the story... I wonder what character or which character you might most find yourself identifying with today in this story. Is the paralyzed person? Does the four men? There's a whole bunch of onlookers here in this room. Let's start with the paralyzed. You know, you may be here today and you may not be physically paralyzed like that individual was. You see, ultimately for this person, it wasn't so much about his paralysis, it was about his deeper need of God and finding forgiveness for his sins. You might be here, you might be watching online, and you realize that uh, in your own life, uh, if you were to describe yourself right now, you are all caught up in, in your own sin. And you desperately need an encounter with the Son of God who has the authority to look at you and say, my child, your sins are forgiven. See, maybe that's who you are today. Or maybe you are, you're like one of those four men who had kind of done whatever they possibly could. You identify with them because that just seems to speak of your life right now, wherever you have planted at the moment, that you've got people that are around you, that you, God has just given you opportunities to find ways and you're looking for ways to kind of to, to influence and, and to reach people for Jesus. You know, in that crowd on that day, uh, yeah, I think you can nearly kind of classify people into two groups of people. Of these onlookers, there was a group of people that were on their way to Jesus. And I think there's a group of people that were in the way of Jesus. You see, for many of us, maybe uh, today uh, we're on our way. We're, we're on that journey and we're kind of growing in our relationship with Christ. And so we're on the way with Jesus. But maybe for some others of us, as we sit here and just kind of it's where our life is at, that we are more in the way than we are on the way. And that's kind of just where we're at right now. You see, regardless of where we might find ourselves as with one of those characters, see, we love and we follow. We, we, we have a God who loves us and keeps calling us. He calls us to follow him on the way and not to be in the way. Which character do you most maybe identify with or you find resonating with in your life today? That's a personal thing. But as we think about this story, I also think it has a collective or it has a, a much broader application for our lives uh, and maybe for what we might call the body of Christ or our church right here at Bendigo Baptist. You see, it's very clear in this story as you follow it through that it wasn't just a story of one person helping somebody else. It's a story of four men realizing that, uh, uh, that they needed to team up because what they, they weren't able to do what they... They needed to work together to accomplish what their friend actually really needed in this moment. 
And so as we think about the story, what it does, it actually speaks to us about what that might mean collaboratively for us as a church as we lean in in this season, as we begin a new ministry, a new year of ministry as to what it might look like for us to, to be on mission with Jesus. To be a part of seeing our vision here at Bendigo Baptist of reaching a city, a state, a nation and a globe for Christ. You know, late last year, uh, I began to kind of dig around a little bit in some of the history uh, of this church. Having, having been around for a few years here, uh, and not as many years as a bunch of other people have been a part of Bendigo Baptist, but, you know, uh, I find history intriguing. In fact, uh, I find the history of this church somewhat intriguing, that as you begin to dig around, you realize that uh, we haven't just been around for a few years. This church has been around for 170 years. In 2023, we are 170 years young. Now, where does that story come from? Well, back in the 1840s, there were a group of men and women at Collins Street Baptist Church in Melbourne. A brand new church. It's the oldest Baptist church in Victoria. And in the 1840s, they began to start dreaming and thinking about how God might use them, what they might do, whatever it takes to see the gospel of Jesus continue to kind of keep moving out. They were only a few years old, but they were thinking not just of themselves, but they were thinking of how they might be a part of something else. So they began to dream. And God laid a, a vision at that heart, a, a, a sense upon their heart at that point that they needed to do something in regional Victoria. What was in regional Victoria at that point? There wasn't much. It was only a few years prior to that. There was just a, a few trees and some, uh, some uh, pastures and, gra- and sheep getting around. But in the, in the mid-1840s, suddenly gold was found here. And hundreds of people began to converge on Bendigo. And by the late 1840s and early 1850s, there's eight to 10,000 people gathering right here in the goldfields. And our brothers and sisters at Collins Street Baptist said, you know what? We need to plant something in that location. The gospel needs to be proclaimed in that part of Victoria. And so in 1853, 170 years ago this year, we can trace the beginnings, the roots of the Bendigo Baptist Church. And here we are today. Praise God. Praise God. We are a part of the story. We're a part of the legacy of that particular church, of our brothers and sisters who were prepared to say, you know what, we're going to do something, whatever it takes. We're not quite sure how we're going to do it. We're not sure how we're going to get there. Uh, We're not quite sure there's going to be obstacles, but we're going to keep doing whatever it takes. It's a bit like these four men who got to the house and said, we can't get our friend to Jesus. So they put him on the ground and they kind of walked away. No, they didn't do that. They, they, they said, well, we've got to find another way of getting him to meet Jesus. And they did something outlandish and crazy, but they were so committed to helping their friend to encounter Jesus. See, over the past 170 years, it has not all been plain sailing for us as a church. You know, uh, if we were to have somebody from every generation stand here and speak about, they would share things that were really good in that 10 years uh, or things that were really difficult for them. But you know what? Here we are still today, 170 years on, and God is still continuing to use, praise God, by his grace and his mercy, his favor continues to be upon Bendigo Baptist Church. And we're a part of the story. You see, you might have only been here a very short period of time. You might, you might even be brand new to the faith. You're a part of the story. 
You know, some of us have been here for 50, 60, 70 years. Over at Eagle Hawk campus, we've got members there that have been in this church for 60 years. That's been part of their story as well too. I'm yet to find anybody that's been here for 170 years. So if you find somebody, just let me know, because I think that would be a remarkable thing to put on the platform as well too. But you know, we are a part of their story. And God is continuing to do something here. He is not done yet. He's continuing to do something with us as we endeavor to to reach our city, state, nation, and globe for Jesus. So what's that look like for us as we lean into 2023? You know, I I sense that uh, the Spirit of God's inviting us to play our parts. You know, all of us in this room, we have got a part to play, enabled by the Spirit of God. We can't do any of this in our own strength, but enabled by the Spirit's using our our time and our talents and our treasures, using the gifts that God has given to us, we get to play a part of something that is much bigger than ourselves and what God is endeavoring to do right here in this place. So as a group of leaders here, as we think about what is God calling us to in 2023, I want to just share some things with you that some of you may have seen before, others that may be hearing about them for the very first time. But what is it going to take... You know, with this Holy Spirit's enabling, we feel compelled to keep taking whatever it takes steps of faith to be a disciple-making church. Where young and old are following Jesus, being transformed by Him and are committed to living out His mission in this world. You see, the responsibility of being a disciple-making church does not just sit with me. That sits with each and every one of us who who. Uh, carry the name of Jesus you see all of us have a responsibility to 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 live in that space of being a disciple that makes a disciple and so as we move into 2023 I am urging us uh, to to uh, to think carefully about well who am I walking alongside of who is discipling me who's who's inputting into my life and and who am I walking alongside of and helping on that journey as well too All of us are called to be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we must do whatever it takes to do that. Here's the second thing. We want to be doing whatever it takes to inspire and equip one another to passionately share the good news about Jesus Christ wherever we go, no matter the cost. You know, uh, it's pretty easy, I still think, in our Western world here to follow Jesus. We don't pay the ultimate price for following Jesus. We might get laughed at today. We might get ridiculed. We might be a little bit ostracized. But the cost really is not that great yet. And so we've got to keep inspiring, equipping one another, keep sharing that gospel no matter the cost. We've got to keep taking whatever it takes steps as a community to, to keep passionately encountering God's through his word, uh, through uh, prayer, and through worship. We must be a praying church. uh, We can't do the work of God without the power of God in our lives. I've said this before, but I've got to keep saying it again. As individuals and as a church, we cannot be about the work of God without the power of God in our lives. And so that means we've got to be much more urgent, much more passionate about gathering together uh, individually, but gathering together as the body of Christ and leaning in and praying and seeking God and and asking God to to pour out his power in our midst, to to anoint us for ministry, to to pour out his favor in the life of this church. It's only going to come from that space with us being more and more urgent about that. 
We've got to keep doing whatever it takes, steps of faith to demonstrate God's love and care in tangible ways. I am proud of our church. We've been doing that for 10 years. We've been doing that really well for 10 years. But you know what? I want to say, you know, we, we hold up our mad cow models. Uh, we hold up our community care. It is a great thing. But you know what? We can't abdicate that just to a few people to be doing that. We all should be demonstrating that in, in and through our own ways. We've got to be on about this as well too. And people right now, they're watching online. Uh, you know, one of the gifts that COVID was to us is it kind of pushed us into an online world where people are watching what we do. People engage online. And so we've got to be about taking whatever it uh, takes, steps of faith to keep engaging people in a world that goes much beyond just what Bendigo is. That'll be challenging for us. But we feel called to that. And we also feel called to take whatever it takes steps of faith to plant churches, both locally and globally, so, as, so that we might advance a disciple-making movement around the world. It's not just our responsibility, it's the responsibility of everybody. And we're not quite sure how we're going to do all of that, but we want to be a part of that. 170 years ago, a group of people looked at us and said, you know what, we're not, we don't even know who those people will be right now, but we've got to do something about Bendigo. Gold has been found there. People are coming from all over the place. And it was crazy. 170 years ago, that was a crazy thought to think about pushing out somewhere else. But they went there. What's it going to look like for us as a church to say, you know what? We want to keep looking beyond ourselves. We want to keep identifying, growing, nurturing and equipping a a horde of people who can, can plant churches that multiply. Give away some of our best people to keep spreading the good news of Jesus, not only just around here in Bendigo, but beyond Bendigo as well too. And last but not least, we want to continue to be a church that takes inspired, courageous steps of faith as we prayerfully pursue God's call and will upon our lives, whatever it takes. You know, I just have a sense this year that if there is a theme that is meant to characterize us in any particular way, it's that phrase, whatever it takes. We want to be individuals who are prepared and willing to do whatever it takes as we follow Jesus. We've got to be a church that keeps thinking about, uh, a church that's not becoming comfortable, but a church that keeps thinking bigger, broader, uh, further than beyond themselves and keeps saying, Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Would you help us to keep thinking, uh, to keep taking whatever it takes, steps of faith as we follow you? Do we know what they're going to be? No, we don't know what all those are going to be. But that's the DNA that was put into us and that's the DNA that we've got to keep carrying as the church right here in this city. You know, we we don't know what tomorrow holds, but I've said it before, we know who holds the future. Back in 2020, when I stood on this platform or a different platform and I began to talk about Vision Sunday, at that point, we had no idea what was coming in 2020. God did, and God had it. God was in control of all of that, but we had no idea how dramatically life was going to change for all of us. But you know what God says to us that uh, his word, Paul says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? 
We can confidently lean into this year in 2023, regardless of what might happen, with the sense of confidence that God is with us. He's with us on this journey. He's just inviting and calling us to keep doing whatever it takes as we follow his son Jesus on mission. So what's that going to look like for us? What's it going to look like for you personally? What's it going to look like for us collectively? You know, at the beginning of a of a brand new year and on this weekend, I think it gives us an opportunity to think through how are we going to respond into this matter? What's that look like for us? Now, personally, maybe you're here today and you are realizing that uh, you, you desperately need to encounter this Jesus. Because if you were to put yourself into one of these two groups of people, if you're being honest, uh, you're not kind of someone who's on the way, but you're more in the way of Jesus. And, and maybe that's a description of the fact of the way in which you live in your life and you are just so bound up in sin and, and you need to be set free from all of that. Or maybe today you've been someone who just hasn't been walking with Jesus. You need to come back to Jesus. And so your response on this day as you think about this story and who maybe you most identify with, it's a, it's a response around how you're personally going to respond initially. So you don't want to be in the way of Jesus. You want to be on the way. You want to be on the journey with Jesus. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether you're just starting that journey or about to start that journey. You want to be on the journey with Jesus. And he tells us he's come that we might have life and that we might have it to the full. He wants us to be on that journey with him don't be the person who so stubbornly resists and says, you know what, no, I'm a bit cynical about all of that and, and, and I'm going to stand in the way of Jesus. Maybe, just maybe today, some of us need to begin, I mean, need to start or come back to being on that journey with Jesus. For others of us who are maybe already on that way with Jesus, we begin to think about, well, what part do I play in all of this? What part do I play in the life of the Bendigo Baptist Church in, in, in seeing a vision of reaching people in this city, maybe even beginning with my, my streets or my neighborhoods, my community, my suburb, a city? You know, what part do I play in all of that as we kind of move into 2023? And I want to say we've got a huge part to play in all of that. You see, that's not just the job of a few people. It's the responsibility of each and every one of us. And so maybe here right now in this room and online, maybe you are a young person. You're kind of still in secondary college or you're off to TAFE or university. And I want to just say, I want to keep inviting you. I want to keep reminding you that the Spirit of God is inviting you to play your part in reaching people for Jesus. Or maybe you're a young mum. A young dad, you're a young family and you're living with, uh, you're juggling the demands that kind of come with having a young family and you kind of think, am I ever going to get through this? What else can I do? It just seems to be all consuming. And I say to you, if that's you, you know what, hang in there. Because the Spirit of God is inviting you to play your part wherever you go. In and through the lives of the people that you have influence to keep reaching people for Jesus. Oh, maybe you're here in this room and you're kind of, it's your career that's kind of taking off and you are loving every moment of that and you're kind of, uh, you're, you're being successful and you're changing your world a little bit. Do you know what? Right where you are, God has planted you there. He is calling you to blossom and to grow and to have great influence and to keep reaching those people around you for Jesus. And maybe there are others of us who are looking forward to retirements. Looking forward to those golden years that we hear about. Still a little bit off for me. Do you know what? God has placed you strategically in that space, 
not to just sit and rest and to uh, uh, lose sight of the mission. He's placed you there strategically and has said, you know what, keep pushing out, keep, keep doing whatever you do, keep bearing influence for me and keep reaching people for Jesus. See, so how are you going to respond today? Here's our team is coming back out this morning. Do you know, I, I think we are uniquely positioned at the beginning of another year to say, well, this is how I'm going to respond. This is what it means for me. You know, as we came in through the doors this morning, uh, hopefully you received one of those little communion cups. Uh, and, you know, why do we do all of this? Why would we have a conversation about uh, pursuing a, or living with a whatever-it-takes mentality? You know, we do it because of Jesus. That's why we do it. We do it because at the very beginning of time when God created us, he created us to be in relationship with us, but sin entered the world and suddenly that relationship was fractured. And God put a plan into place to do whatever it takes to bring his creation, mankind, men and women back into relationship with him. He was prepared to do whatever it takes. That's why we do that. You know, this morning, uh, I just want to give us an, a moment to, to think through how we're going to respond right now. You've got your own little cup there. You see, uh, in just a moment, we're just going to eat and drink on our own. And as we do that, I want us to remember. I want us to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. He was God's rescue mission. He was prepared to do whatever it takes for his father. And so we celebrate that this morning. But then as we do that, maybe there is a decision that we're making. Maybe it's personally. Maybe you're here in this room and you're watching online and you've never given your heart to Jesus. There is no greater word that any of us could hear right now than the words, my child, your sins are forgiven. And maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. You need to reach out and you need to embrace Jesus Christ's as your own saviour. And stop walking life according to your life, but to pull in with him. Maybe that's you. Or maybe it's you're coming back to him today. Or maybe as you eat and drink this, there is a sense of a decision that you need to make around how you're going to collaborate and you're going to work together as a team. You're going to be a part of what God's doing around here. It's going to cost you. Anything worth chasing after and pursuing in life costs you. You know, every two weeks I drive to Melbourne and I spend a whole day in Melbourne for a day because I want to be with my granddaughter. It costs me a tank of fuel, but it's worth the cost. I'm exhausted at the end of the day, but it's worth the cost. You see, anything worth chasing and pursuing in life will cost you. So pursuing a vision of reaching our city, state, nation and globe for Jesus and being a part of that is going to cost us our time. It's going to cost us our talents. It's, 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 it's a good cost in that sense. And it's going to impact the way in which we steward the monies that God has given to us as well too. What's God saying to you as we start this year? I want to give you a moment to eat and drink. And then uh, I will lead us as we move into our last song together.